Welcome to this episode of Miss Law Explains Things. Welcome to this episode of Miss Law Explains Things. to the fifth episode of uh, Miss Law Explains Things. I'm using my new podcast set. Uh, thank you. Shout out to Six Fours. It's like a very, very interesting uh, Teacher's Day present. Um, so today's article that I'm talking about is from Today Online and it's about what bread talks planned buyout of Food Junction means for meal prices, variety and food court industry because I thought this would be a really good time for us to uh, recap some things about market structure. Right, so one of the uh, topics that we have not actually looked at in uh, recent times. We've looked at macro topics, for example, like international trade. We've looked at the Hong Kong protests. We've looked at market failure, but I think as we're preparing um, for our essays, right, our upcoming next paper, actually, we might want to think about a little bit about market structure. Right, and I think a very recurring question, whether it's in essays or just generally, I think is like, you know, what are the benefits and costs of a firm growing big, as well as the methods by which firms grow big? So what we've learned actually already in class are things like mergers and acquisitions. We have heard words like consolidation. We have heard words like cost rationalization. And these are all very important concepts, but as long as we link them back to the primary framework, which is revenue and cost, then we won't really be that far off. Okay, so this particular article uh, talks about some of the effects right, of the planned acquisition of food cooperator, food junction management by rival BreadTalk. So do you think that this is necessarily good? Let me just start this as an opening question. Is it necessarily good? So the first line already actually points out something important, which it says that meal offerings at food courts are likely to be less varied. And I will interpret that as actually a reduction in the variety of goods and services being offered. This is actually something that we have covered under market structure. Because we realize when there's a concentration of monopoly power or market power, right, the variety of goods and services available for sale is actually decreased. But this is only bad from a consumer's perspective. So when we look at the effects of a particular firm's decision, it doesn't mean it, it is about acquisition and consolidation of market power. The means by which firms consolidate market power are actually quite varied. But in the end, the effects are very similar on consumers, producers, and even the government has to be concerned because they are concerned with more micro-objectives such as efficiency and equity. And the macro-objectives are, for example, the uh, sustained economic growth, low inflation, low unemployment, and of course, a healthy balance of payments. But at a firm level, the government is concerned because it's concerned about society's welfare. Society consists of consumers, producers, and a whole other set of groups of people and stakeholders. Okay, So the article continues to go on to say that Despite fewer operators controlling a larger share of the industry, and if I were to actually draw the parallel to the concept, this would mean that if there are less people in the industry, right, the remaining firms will actually experience an increase in the demand for their goods and services. So that means the AR and the MR will shift outwards, and it will become more price inelastic, which means that the demand curve becomes steeper because there are less substitutes. This is a very natural link, and actually the link that the examiner is looking out for in your answer. Right. But they said that they expect meal prices to stay the same. And I want you to think about why. Actually, right, revenue increase, technically, Ceteris Paribus, nothing happening to the cost. We should have an increase in price because 
you know, the price should increase, right? Because there are less uh, firms in the market and there should be a, they should be able to charge higher prices. But why are meal prices still staying the same? Ah, this is a very interesting question. Because now we need to think about, okay, is it possible that even though revenue is increasing, cost is also increasing? Or is it maybe it's a decision by these firms to keep prices the same in order to maintain their consumer base? Or what, what are they trying to do? Okay, so the article actually goes on to say that it is because food courts are competing not just among themselves, but also with a range of other food establishments. So this actually makes me think about how do we define the market? If we're talking about food courts, then yes, it's about food junction, right, versus Kopitiam, versus the, as the one that they're talking about, this one here is Food Junction and Food Republic, for example. That's the competition that we think about. But actually, right, these food courts themselves are competing with another kind of food establishment, right? There's so many types of food establishments, there are restaurants, there are cafes, there are hawker centers. And if we broaden our viewpoint, right, we realize that these food courts, right, we make sure that the prices remain the same because of possible substitution. So there's two levels of substitution here. There's substitution between different food courts because they can sell the same chicken rice, right, but it might be different at different food courts. Maybe it's slightly more expensive at Food Republic because it's viewed as a more luxury or premium good or something. Maybe there's additional features to it we don't know. Or maybe they have actually higher rental or they have to pay more for the utilities. We also don't know. Okay. But on the other hand, right, these food courts are actually competing, right, with other kinds of food establishments. So this makes me think about cross-elasticity of demand, right? So there's cross-elasticity of demand here because food court versus hawker center versus restaurant, right, there's technically some sort of substitute relationship between them, right? That's one level. Another elasticity concept I can bring in is the concept of YED. Maybe hawker food, some people consider inferior or necessity. Restaurant considered to be luxury. And maybe food courts are somewhere in between. Uh, because it depends for a certain level of income, how do we view different types of food establishments? Right? Because it's the food is essentially just a mo almost the same. Let's assume it's about the same. It's just that you're eating it in a different place. Okay? So I want you to think about, actually, you can broaden the idea. Uh, of competition to some extent, right? But for our purposes, usually we just focus within the same industry. So we just say we focus on food court. But there's nothing to say that we cannot expand these concepts. Right? Let's say it's the demand and supply kind of perspective. Lah. Okay. So the article continues to go on to say that other analysts think that meal prices may go up, but only by 10%. And I want you to think about the few reasons that I just highlighted just now. Like maybe costs are increasing or maybe they actually perceive increased competition from other types of food establishments. So that's why it's not about so much about contestability. Yeah? Okay, I want to just highlight to everybody, contestability is about whether the entry exit costs are low okay, of, you know, in a particular industry. So that means is it easy for another person or another company to say, oh, now I also want to set up food costs. If that is low, then it's contestable. But... Sources of competition from other food establishments is not about contestability. Oh. They are not coming into your, like your, your, your region or territory okay, of the market. They are just competing for the same customers. That's a different thing. Okay? Then we talked about okay, how Bread Talk is going to acquire Food Junction through a subsidiary of $18 million and okay, subject to shareholder approval. Okay. So that would... Think about it. Uh, why would BreadTalk actually want to acquire food 
uh, junction. It is sort of a related business, that's true. It allows BreadTalk, number one, to consolidate its market power. And I think an even more important thing is that it involves diversification. Diversification of your, res your, your revenue source. Because BreadTalk, okay, we now only you know, operate all these bakeries in many different countries. We have regional advancement. But also by actually going to the food court business, right? It helps bread talk to diversify. Let's say suddenly it realizes that there's a loss in revenue from all of its bread sales and all of its bakeries and all of its food items itself. Then it can always ensure that the food court business, right, or the area of its business, right, can still buffer all of this loss in revenue, right? Because basically, Food Republic, Food Opera, all of these brands is already under. It's actually already under BreadTalk. So it's just that BreadTalk is now consolidating more market power. You can think about... Okay, there are two different things that BreadTalk is doing. On BreadTalk's end, as a large consolidated firm, is diversifying its resource revenue. That's one effect at a macro level. At an industry level in the food court uh, industry, now there's actually a consolidation of market power, a reduction in the level of competition. And consumers may suffer, which is why they said now that the meals are becoming more are less varied. And there's a potential increase in new price, even though they say it may not increase. Huh? Okay. On the other hand, right, they actually contrast BreadTalk with NTUC. Okay, so NTUC Enterprise is like another competitor. Right? And it completed its acquisition of Kopitiam at the end of uh, last year. Right? And also, Kofu is the second biggest operator. So now they're talking about people who operate food courts per se. Right? And they said that the industry is in the midst of consolidation with these three players dominating the market. I think it will not take us very long to actually conclude this is a bit like an oligopoly. There were a few dominant firms, okay? And each of them has a quite high uh, market concentration ratio, okay? So this uh, particular gentleman, Mr. Pua, manager of uh, Nanyang Polytechnic School of Business Management, said that the number of players in the industry has dropped from between 6 and 8 previously to between four and six. Wow. That means the market is becoming less and less competitive. I never said anything about contestability because I don't know about anything about entry and exit costs until I actually read something about it. But no, they're just saying that now the market is becoming more and more concentrated. Right? So it's shifting right from an oligopoly, maybe one day it will be a monopoly. Right? If one of the firms decide to acquire the rest of it. But as of now, it's still an oligopoly. It's just it's becoming less and less competitive. So they're saying that with this acquisition, there's more concentration of market share among operators and the new players may find it harder to come in and it's now dominated by a few bigger establishments. It is true. <coughs> Direct effect of uh, consolidation is that it makes it very difficult for newer firms to enter the market. Maybe the market is becoming right, more contestable. And the analysts believe that larger players are buying smaller operators in their bid to achieve critical mass, number one, which is to strengthen their market power, number two, strengthen their competitiveness, right? and number three, eventually to scale up their business. But the good thing that they say is, despite the consolidation, so this is actually a very important type of question that we're looking at. What is the likely impact? I've said, I've said a lot of things about the word likely before in class. Because likely we know what the theoretical impact of consolidation is. Is that, oh, there's going to be less variety. There's going to be higher prices. The firms are going to become more inefficient. Right? They become allocatively inefficient. They become more productively inefficient because they consolidate market power. And equity is also affected. Right? 
equity, efficiency, all of the government objectives are negatively affected. But then on the other side of the word likely is also reality. So this article is telling us the reality. They say that some analysts believe that consumers are not likely to be hit right, with uh, price increases. Because they say that while a diminishing number of choices would usually lead to higher prices for consumers, that's the likely, right? They say that more efficient operators from larger food operators, operations, right, from larger food operators can lead to cost savings. And there is no need for operators to raise prices to maintain profit margins. Wow, isn't that what we think, what, isn't that our cost advantage of growing larger that we've learned in class before? If I grow larger, I can exploit more internal economies of scale. And at this point, I would ask you to go back and revise what are the different types of economies of scale. Is it advertising, economies of scale, managerial, administrative, technical, R&D, what kind? About purchase, what kind of economies of scale comes to mind when you think about a food operator? About purchase would be quite a good example already. But R&D is so important. Lah, huh? And advertising right, to make sure that we can uh, maintain brand loyalty. Okay, so they said that actually they can result in cost savings, so there's no need to increase price, right? And they said that, that this actually look at that on the next paragraph, it just says what exactly what I just said. It says that larger companies are usually able to achieve cost savings by lumping certain operations together, sounds a bit like cost rationalization, making larger bulk purchases. For example, a phenomenon economist term as economy, so scale. This is an excellent article, okay. Okay, so, and they also talk about this other uh, advantage, which is that location of differently operated food courts and the proximity to each other is also an important factor in pricing. Ma. So they say that some of these food courts are in saturated areas such as the CBD. And because you know that well, there's so much concentration of food, pla food places there, right? There's more competition. So think about it, there's a Kofu that he said you put next to a Kopitiam. Kofu is going to treat it like a competitor, right? And it will keep prices low. So because of the proximity of all these competitors, right, in a geographical sense, it also makes sense for people to keep prices down. Okay, because they perceive a source of competition. Okay, so it says that, that meal prices will not be a cause for concern for consumers as a result of the consolidation. And an even more important thing is they talk about NTUC food fare. So the concern about equity, right, is also mitigated over here because NTUC Food Fair is a social enterprise that will somewhat help to moderate the cost of living by setting styles rental rates at its food court. And therefore, consumers would generally benefit in terms of affordable meals. So that means that even though you might think that consolidation of market share is going to negatively impact uh, equity, at the end of the day, NTUC Food Fair itself is also a social enterprise. But on the other hand, some of the analysts believe that consumers may face higher prices la, with the consolidation. And they said, hopefully, food court operators can share with consumers the benefits of operating with economies of scale. And this is a very important learning point in market structure. Monopolies and a lot of firms right, have the ability to share cost savings, but in the end, it's up to their own interest whether or not they want to do so. So it's a choice. It's an active choice. It's not like, it, it's a, not a given, la, that's, that's for sure. So it's just an active choice. La. And they said that even if there is an increase in price at food courts, it will not be very much because competition is still keen because they can still head to other things such as the coffee shop, the hawker centre and uh, the other food establishment. As well as, okay, so it goes on to talk about the variety of offerings, right? And it says that consolidations will mean less variety of offerings at food courts. But 
what's important here is that you know in order for them to actually continue to maintain market share into the longer term right these operators need to come up with a unique selling point they still need to differentiate themselves because at the end of the day all the food courts are going to look the same they're going to offer the same types of food the format everything is going to look the same right and therefore they need to try something new right they cannot uh, just copy uh, it's easy for they said that it's easy for competitors to copy its strategy Right, so that means actually the extent of differentiation is quite low. Like. It's very hard for you to differentiate yourself. It means even within oligopolies, there's some where you can actually differentiate your product to a larger extent. And for some types of oligopolies, the extent of product differentiation is lower because mutual interdependence. Ma. Right, once one operator decides to do something, everyone else is going to actually you know, do something similar to ensure that it doesn't you know, lose out. Right, so they said that because of a few players, it's easier for operators to analyze their competitor strategy and the data will be more succinct. Okay, the article just ends off by talking about how NTUC has kept the Kopitam brand in the use of its loyalty card. So these are all examples of non-price competition or product differentiation. Right, and it says that analysts will be careful not to make wholesale changes that potentially disrupt the acquired company's normal cost of business. Which means that, you know, when Bread Talk is going to acquire a uh, food junction, it needs to make sure that it does not do too drastic uh, changes such that actually it results in some kind of like this economies of scale. Because if you become too large and you don't do cost rationalization, you will actually encounter this economies of scale. Right? Because there will be like a lot of like managerial miscommunication. And I advise you to go back and revise what are examples of this economies of scale. Okay? So the central question actually at uh, the end of the day is it points to larger factors which is that our market is becoming more or less monopolistic, right? Is the level of market power increasing or decreasing in certain industries? And I just want to highlight two separate examples for you to think about. So the first one that we just looked at today in this article is the fact that a lot of these uh, larger companies are actually buying up all the food costs. So NTUC for example bought uh, Kopitiam okay and on the other hand BreadTalk is now entering the agreement to buy Food Junction so there's a reduction uh, in the level of competition okay on the other hand we realize that for the telco industry in Singapore like with the Circles Life and all the uh, mobile virtual network operators we realize there's been an increase in the level of competition because now all of them are engaged in like a price war they're trying to offer you know better discounts and and things like that so the responses are slightly different so i just want you to keep these two examples in mind because they are very very good singapore specific examples and it will really be wise for you to add these to your arsenal of examples okay uh that's all i have to say for today i wish you all the best for your prelims and have high high hopes okay thank you